Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. How are you, Simone? Another week, another episode of Dispatches. Are you hanging in there? We are hanging in there. How are y'all doing over there? How's Miss Winnie coping? Oh, Miss Winnie uh, is doing just fine. She's getting at least two walks a day in very nice uh, outdoor locations and lots of treats and attention um, since we're both at home. So uh, how are things over in, in Metairie and how are the kids doing? Well, their homeschool teacher is terrible, um, but <laughs> but we seem to be hanging in there. Um, it, it's we talked about this on previous episodes, Jacques. It's been an interesting time, um, but but it's been nice to be able to be together and to be able to to do this show together because um, while all these things are going on in the world, uh, we still have this amazing coast that we want to talk about and take a break from. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you and I had an opportunity to be on the American Shoreline podcast uh, episode with Tyler Bridges and Peter Ravella, who um, we've had on the show before. So we got to give them an update about what's happening in Louisiana. And then, of course, since that time, um, we've had the release of Last Call for the Bayou on Smithsonian Channel. So all five films are now available to watch. You can go to watch.smithsonianchannel.com. Um, we also have information about it on our Facebook page that you can check out, but um, really great content that's out now that you can enjoy while you're at home uh, and, you know, looking for content to enjoy. So we're trying to make the most of these situations and we're bringing you another episode today um, that's highlighting another um, big milestone for Louisiana and for the Gulf, which is the 10th anniversary of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Um, but also we're highlighting a lot of the work that's happened since that time. So we're excited to have two guests on that are going to talk about that. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our first guest, Simone? Yes, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to doing that. This is an avid listener, and um, he has rightfully claimed the spot as number one avid listener. We'll get into that uh, in a little bit, but we are so pleased to welcome to the show Gregory Grandy. He's the Deputy Executive Director of the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority of Louisiana. He left them for a little while, but then he came back very thankfully. So we are lucky to have Greg join us on the show today. Welcome to the show, Greg. It's great to be here, Simone and Jock. Uh, just glad to, as as your number one avid fan and listener, it's it's just like a dream come true to be on the show with you. <laughs> Is it everything you dreamed it would be? <laughs> well, we'll see. As of now, we're, you know, 10 seconds in it. Well, it can only go downhill from here, Greg. Um, all kidding aside, you, you've had a very accomplished career. You uh, graduated in landscape architecture from the Louisiana State University. Um, you have a master's in environmental management and planning from LSU. Um, you have a license, your license in landscape architecture. You're a certified interpretive planner. We're going to need to find out more about that. Um, but you did work at CPRA for quite a bit, and then you went to on the private side a little bit. I know you worked for um, East Baton Rouge. You worked for um, their Recreation and Park Commission. And so we want to talk a little bit about your career um, and tell, but so let's talk about that a little bit about yourself and and um, where you live, what you do, those kinds of things. Sure. So uh, right now I live in Baton Rouge and uh, I'll, I'll kind of bring you back a little bit. My wife 
uh, and I, we, we just celebrated our 30th anniversary. Oh, uh, congratulations. So, uh, so I, I definitely married up uh, significantly and just am a, a lucky person. But uh, back in 1993, Claire and I were living in New Orleans and I was working as a landscape architect, designing and building gardens. And I read a journal article one day by this guy, Dr. Bill Good, about this new emerging field of coastal restoration in Louisiana. And I read it about a dozen times and went in and told my, my bride of about two years at that time, I wanted to quit my job and go back to school. And uh, <laughs> then I wanted to do coastal restoration. And uh, after, you know, after she calmed down a little bit, and we talked said, about- Who is this Bill Good guy? And why is he doing this to me? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and so I, I read it and I, I investigated it some more and uh, went back to LSU and got a master's degree in environmental management. And after a few years, I was, able, I was very fortunate to work under Dr. Good at what was then the Louisiana Department of Natural Resources doing coastal restoration. I started as a landscape architect doing vegetative plantings on marsh creation and barrier island projects, and eventually moved up into a project management role. And uh, after a few years, uh, in around 2005, uh, a new program came along called the Coastal Impact Assistance Program, the SEAP program. And a few folks uh, tapped me on the shoulder and, and asked if I would be part of a group that would lead that effort for the state. And I had a wonderful opportunity to work with, with Mr. Dave Fruge and Will Norman and folks from all 19 coastal parishes in the state to develop the coastal plan for Louisiana. And things just kind of took off from there. Uh, so it, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure the first time around and even better the second time around to be back with the state of Louisiana here at CPRA. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about what it's like to be back at CPRA, but you brought up a name that means a lot to a lot of different people, but God bless Dave Fruge, right? I remember talking to him about his commutes over the Atchafalaya Basin and um, what a great person that CPRA had that, that made the transition from DNR. So it must've been nice to work for Dave. He had such a nice demeanor too. I see a lot of that in you too. It, Dave was, he was just, uh, he was, it was absolute pleasure to learn. And, and be mentored by uh, someone who who was so extraordinary and and had uh, he, he worked for about 33 years for the Fish and Wildlife Service in Louisiana and was instrumental in the early days of Quipra and then he came over after he retired from the federal government to the state and worked at DNR in a number of capacities. So you talked about CAP that that was that was your start at Caminata is that right? Caminata had uh, had a bit of CAP in it, right? Actually, that's what, what funded uh, the first phase of construction uh, was funded on, on CAP Increment 1. But before CAP, it was uh, an LCA project. So in March of 2005, uh, there was a feasibility. Wait, wait, wait. wait. What, was the, what was the nickname for it? It's one of my favorite acronyms. It was LCA, the Louisiana Coastal Area, the Triple BS, uh, Barataria Basin Barrier Shoreline Feasibility Study. So not just BS, but Triple BS was uh, the so that was a feasibility study. The study, we actually completed it in 2012, and uh, it was signed by the Corps and authorized. And then later in 2012, we, the state went out uh, on our own uh, nickel through CEOP and some other funds, and we went into construction of the first phase. And then the second phase, and I will get into this a little bit later, the second phase, the, the, the eastern half of Caminata, uh, was funded through uh, through NIFWIP, the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation Gulf Environmental Benefit Fund. 
So Greg, that's all very fascinating. But before we get too far into this segment, we have to kind of clear the air and, you know, understand you are in fact our number one avid listener. I mean, I know we've had some other avid listeners on the show recently um, and over time, but I think you've really earned that uh, title. So tell us a little bit about how you um, became the number one avid listener of Delta Dispatches and why you deserve that title maybe over others that have claimed it in the past. Well, I, 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 you know, I know there's other posers out there, but uh, <laughs> I came across Delta Dispatches. Uh, I'm relatively new to using my iPhone, and it was the first podcast that I downloaded. And I just, you know, I, I sort of binge watched uh, the the Delta Dispatches, probably my favorite episode, episode number 100. Simone, who who was your guest on episode number 100? Um, we had Chip Klein on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we had, it was we the had. governor of Louisiana. <laughs> they amazingly so I, let I us. Actually, I learned a lot listening to the show. <laughs> we we were so fortunate to have the governor let us into his mansion, and that's probably the last time that we'll be be in there. So, <laughs> well, we there was a test just to really clear the air. There was a test, and um, Greg did pass with flying colors, making him number one avid listener. But we have some real things, some some real issues that we want to get to. Um, if you will stick with us, though, Greg, after the break, we'll we'll get to those. We'll talk about your work at CPR Ray and and what the upcoming anniversary means to you. Um, so stick with us. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990. We'll be right back. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Hello, 
you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. I have the Coastal Voice of the Week. It comes from Chandler in Shriver. I support Coastal because it is critical for our future. I think I know Chandler and he's a really great guy. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that he supports our, our coast as well. Um, but that's our Coastal Voice of the Week. Don't forget that you can go on um, the Mississippi River Delta website and add your own Coastal Voice of the Week. And we're back with Greg Grandy, Deputy Executive Director, Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority of Louisiana. And we mentioned it at the top of the show, um, but um, April 20th will mark, it's hard to believe, 10 years since the Deepwater Horizon oil disaster. Um, and, you know, obviously that was such a devastating moment for so many people, as well as our ecosystems and wildlife. And the state of Louisiana and Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority have been doing a lot of work in the years since to help our ecosystems and wildlife recover. Of course, we've seen a lot of um, coverage of Queen Bess Island and the fact that the pelicans are returning there. And there have been a number of other projects that have been underway, funded by the oil spill settlement and other sources. So we want to get right to it and talk to Greg about that. Um, Greg, from your point of view, um, you know, what are you thinking about as we reflect on 10 years since the oil spill? Uh, There's a a couple of a couple of things that come to mind just in in the uh, thinking about the that date in April of, of 2010. First, just the the human tragedy that took place, the the loss of life, and all the folks who are who are affected um, by the the spill itself. But just the anxiety that uh, that that surrounded it as a couple of visuals that that enter into my mind is that video of, of the oil gushing under the surface and just wanting it to stop and then seeing the maps of, of oil, uh, kind of streaks of oil as it was, was coming into shore. And then the, the image of, of pelicans that were, were oiled uh, on an island that, that I had had, uh, had the pleasure to do some, some design work out on, uh, on East Grand Terre Island in Plaquemines Parish, and that that Barrier Island restoration project was actually in construction during the the oil spill, and oil was coming ashore, not just at Kamenata, but at Grand Isle and, and on East Grand Terre. And and now that I think back ten years later, uh, the the amount of, of restoration work that's been done, uh, not just in Louisiana, but across the five Gulf states, and that you you've got uh, uh, significant efforts in place to continue these. Uh, this this restoration that'll mitigate the impact of the spoil. Jockey talked about Queen Bess Island, but the obviously the the old bil- birds that were lost. Uh, how, what do we do to to ensure the populations are there for the future? So uh, great uh, Easter message. Uh, the 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 eggs uh, and the first uh, birth of, of live pelicans on on Queen Bess just absolutely beautiful. And I was fortunate to be there about two or three months ago standing on the shoreline, visualizing that moment that would take place and then to see uh, the weather and everything be just perfect, that uh, the, the birds are back and they're nesting and they're doing everything that we had hoped that they would do. And as we take a look at the other projects that have been built, particularly in the Barataria Basin that was so impacted by the spill, uh, restoration projects on Schofield Island, Shell Island East and West, Lake Hermitage, the Caminata Headland Increment 2, uh, Chenier Ronquil 
and then the Queen Best project. So where, where the impact was most significant is where we've seen the most significant amount of uh, investment and restoration that's been done in the years. And I think that speaks volumes, uh, not just from, from a Louisiana standpoint, but uh, what the trustees are doing to mitigate the impact from the oil spill. Yeah, and I had the pleasure of seeing Queen Bess when it was newly reopened, and it's just breathtaking to kind of see that island, and you look at images um, before it was restored and then after, and it's just such an amazing job. And, and like you said, now you're seeing images of the Pelican's return in full force. And that was funded, as you mentioned, by the Natural Resource Damage Assessment. Um, we've talked about different funding streams on the show, so I want to give folks a, a sense of different projects that have been funded by the funding streams. So there's been some project and projects and work done as a result of Restore Council funding as well, correct? It, absolutely. So, uh, and, and there's a number of projects through the Restore Council that funded engineering and design, so the first phase of work. Uh, so West Grand Terre, uh, the Golden Triangle Marsh Creation Project uh, and the Biloxi uh, Marsh Living Shoreline Projects. The engineering design phase was funded through Restore, and all three of those were funded, just funded, and the, the agreements are just the inks, uh, starting to dry on the agreements so that they can go into construction through NERDA. So they're funded through one, through Restore, and for engineering and design and construction. West Grand Terre, we hope, will be going out to bid for the restoration component in the next week or so. Uh, and that'll be in the construction later this year. So in addition to, uh, to NERDA, the National Resource Damage Assessment uh, that, that uh, has funded a number of projects, uh, Queen Bess is one of those projects, and we have those other projects going to come into construction later this year. NIFWIF, the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, uh, they funded the Kaminata Headland Increment 2 project, and also the Terrebonne Barrier Island project, which is in construction today. We anticipate a dredge later this month. We'll start placing uh, sand uh, in Lafouche Parish on the West Bell Headland first, and then uh, move over to Trinity Island and Timbalier Island in, uh, in Terrebonne Parish a little bit later this year. So, Greg, that's all part of this billion-dollar annual plan that you have, right? And and we we say billion with a B, um, but but you just spoke about something earlier about money that y'all are because we have this master plan, y'all are able to kind of fluidly move between funding sources, um, and that's important, right? For one pays for design and engineering, and one pays for construction. But I would imagine that's a result of of something like the master plan and an annual plan that y'all are able to have a strategy to do that. Absolutely. And the, the, uh, the difference between the master plan is sort of the North Star. It's the guiding vision that, uh, that is the work that, that we work with. And, uh, and within that, every year we have to, to have an annual plan that we submit to the legislature that, that articulates and uh, provides an opportunity for, for the legislature to authorize uh, the, the projects that will be built within the next fiscal year, within the next state fiscal year for that. Uh, we, we, uh, it was approved at the CPRA board meeting back in March. We had a virtual meeting because we don't, uh, we were following the guidance from the governor and the CDC and the president. Uh, so we had a, a, a web meeting then. It was approved and then submitted to the legislature in accordance with, uh, with the laws that we work with under. So, Greg, too, that we talk about starting a, a lot of these projects, but 
one thing that was really important during this whole time is that y'all have been looking at it and studying it and learning things scientifically, right? It, and how you do things and how you monitor um, projects. And there was a special edition of Shore and Beach magazine, right? Um, that focused just on this. Why, why don't you tell us about, uh, I think you were guest editor, right? You had an important role I, in crafting that. I, I was, uh, I, it was, I had the, the pleasure to be the guest editor of this special edition that was dedicated to uh, to what's been done in the Gulf in the 10 years since uh, since the oil spill. And it's not just Louisiana. We also had our colleagues in Mississippi and Alabama and Florida and Texas share uh, details uh, of the work that they're doing. Now, these articles are really, they're really dense. It's meant for a, a technical audience, but I think anybody can read it. It's, uh, and it's a great way for us to be transparent about the work that we're doing, both on a restoration standpoint and on a research standpoint. And I'll also kind of note uh, uh, the work that we've done in Louisiana uh, through the oil spill, it's informed by previous efforts that came before. So the, the Quicker community and all the projects and the 30 years of work that Quicker has been doing absolutely informs us. Matter of fact, some of the projects that we built with, with funds from the oil spill the Chenier Ronquil and the Schofield Island, they started out, they were uh, incubated. They went through the phase one engineering and design through the Quicker system. And then funding came along uh, through, through the Deepwater Horizon settlements that allowed those to be constructed. But that monitoring, we continue to learn lessons and uh, build projects better and smarter than we have before. And you can find Shore and Beach Magazine, the digital edition with the CPRA uh, excerpts on the CPRA website, which is coastal.la.gov um, backslash shore-beach-magazine. So Greg, thank you for being on the show. We cannot let you escape without a fun question. Um, I know you already answered this in an email to Jacques and I, but I feel like the whole coastal community needs to know this, but um, what is your favorite Easter candy? Uh, my favorite Easter candy and I, uh, Elmer's, uh, gold brick, uh, the regular eggs, not the dark chocolate. The oh, regular I was going to ask, I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. So and I actually went by, I didn't get there before Easter because of social distancing. I went yesterday to Albertsons and they were out. So I'm on the search as much as you can be in these times to find me some Elmer's gold brick chocolate eggs. well I'm, I'm not gonna be braggy but um i have an elmer's connection so i got oh, a whole yeah, basket yeah. Right. full of only elmer's chocolate but greg it was amazing to finally have you on the show thank you thank you um for being a part of our social distancing episode to talk about such an important anniversary to cpra but also to talk about your amazing accomplishments since then so thank you for being on greg we appreciate it you are number one in our hearts for sure <laughs> Thank you very much. And thank you for everything, uh, Simone, you and Jock do every single day. Thank we'll you, Greg. Back. Yeah, we'll be back talking about more anniversary discussion and what has happened since then. But you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We'll be right back. You're on the ASPN Network. Coastal news for the pelagic-minded. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And we are back with Amanda Moore, Deputy Director at the National Wildlife Federation. 
How are you doing, Mandy? You're in Florida, right? How are you and your family doing? We're doing just fine. Um, busy. We have, we're homeschooling, we're working, we're parenting all in these walls, but uh, we are, we are healthy and everybody's relatively happy. So we're fine. Thanks for well, asking. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I have to say, I mean, um, I know we can't see each other in person, but I have had an opportunity to see you on a lot of video conferences. So that's at least some comfort. Um, and I know that <laughs> your team's been working to provide a lot of resources and content for people who are in our same boat staying at home right now. Um, so tell us about some of the resources and content that the outreach teams pulled together and shared with folks um, that they can you know, enjoy while they're at home. Yeah, well, as soon as everything kind of shut down pretty quickly and we realized that uh, for our outreach team in particular, um, we had a huge calendar for the next several months, just chock full of events, multiple events every day. Um, and we, we were just gearing up for something really intense. And then suddenly everything was canceled um, and canceled for several months for us right out the gate. So we, uh, took a minute and said, okay, um, what are we, how are we going to engage with people and interact with people? Um, you know, so we gave it, we gave it a little bit of time while people kind of took a breath and, and got used to this quote unquote new normal. Um, and then we said, you know, let's, let's make, we were just chatting a small team of us and thought, we should put some resources out there. I mean, uh, we realized that things were going to switch very much to online. And um, and we came up with this idea to do a coastal care package um, where we had, um, we're wrapping up some different projects. We had some great content to share out to people. And then we went and kind of searched around for some of our favorite uh, content that we've compiled over the last few years and we worked with our communications team to package it up and um, it we have all kinds of stuff so we did one that went out a few a few weeks ago and you can find it at mississippiriverdelta.org if you go into our blogs um, it says coastal care package and we have a piece on exploring the coast so you can do virtual exploration and you can dive in and learn about projects um, we have reading, we have films to watch, um, we have sections that, to get your kids involved, to get them outside, to help them learn about the coast, um, and then some uh, resources about how to support people in need um, right now on the coast during the pandemic. So Mandy, what, what is your favorite part of the care package? probably exploring the coast. I just think that's super cool that we can, you can kind of virtually explore. There's not a lot out there like that. Um, so that's pretty, something that was pretty special and just kind of happened to come out at the same time that all of this happened. So it felt a little serendipitous. Well, Mandy, I certainly want to um, ask you, you are no stranger to being part of the community here in Louisiana when we face tough times. Um, you, you were um, advocating after Hurricane Katrina and Rita, which will also have the 15-year anniversary. But this week in particular, we're talking about the Deepwater Horizon tragedy. So tell us what you remember most about those tough days back in April and the summer of, of 2010. It is actually something I remember 
really clearly. And to be quite honest, for a few years, I really like would get my stomach in knots when somebody would ask me about it afterward. Um, I'm better now. I can talk about it and be fine. But it was uh, one of the more stressful things I had ever experienced at that point. Um, you know, we were working on the coast and we were working with community people on the coast. And that was our job. We were trying to raise awareness about the need for restoration. And then when this happened, um, when the rig exploded, um, if you'll recall, you know, for 80 some days, nobody really knew what to do. Um, and there was no plan. And we kind of had this front row seat um, seeing what's happening to wetlands that we were trying to protect and seeing them get oiled was really hard to watch. Um, and the wildlife that we were trying to restore their habitat and seeing that get oiled was really hard to watch. And then probably the hardest part, honestly, for me, was the community people that we were working with and that we had come to know um, and seeing them suffer um, and seeing some of the difficulties that they were facing at that time. Um, and it, it took a little while, I think as it does with with disasters, because now I'm, I'm starting to learn a little bit about what it's like to respond. And it takes a minute, right, to realize what your role is and what you can do to help um, and what makes sense. And we finally realized that probably the best thing we could do was just get film crews out there, um, putting them on the oil, making sure that people could see what was really happening. Um, there was a there were a lot of competing interests at the time along the coast, and some didn't want people to see a lot of what was happening. And um, but we were out there making sure people knew what was at stake, and we were working with communities. Um, and getting cameras out there, getting national and international film crews out to meet with you know, people in the Grand Bayou community and the Islenos and St. Bernard and the charter fishermen um, that are going out in South Clackamans um, and really making sure we got the stories out there. And I think that um, that resonated with a lot of people. And I think that it was really important um, overall and making sure that the whole nation, the whole world really knew what was happening in Louisiana. It wasn't, um, you know, sometimes we would, we would literally respond like BP, we would see on the news, they would say, uh, there's no oil in this area of the coast. Well, we were able to go up in a helicopter and look at it and, and say, actually, look, it's everywhere right here. So it was a game changer to have somebody to, that had the resources and the connections to keep the truth out there. And that was really a lot of what of what we did. And then we pivoted, of course, to how do we get restoration happening and what makes the most sense. So we were really intimately involved along the way. But I'll say those first few months um, were really crazy and it was nonstop and people were working around the clock. And um, we did some fun stuff too. We held like, we had Lost Bayou Ramblers come down to Venice Marina and do a big shrimp boil, a big concert for all the charter captains that were working um, and fishermen. And uh, I remember we, we danced and we ate shrimp and we drank beer. And it was just like we needed a reprieve from it all. And um, the fishermen liked it so much that the Lost Body Ramblers finished playing and they passed their hat around and begged for them to keep playing more music because they just, you know, wanted that that moment so badly well mandy we have to you know come we're, we're about to head into a break but we want to hear a lot more about this i mean obviously that was 
that was such a uh, momentous uh, occasion. And then, of course, um, there, there's been a lot of work that's happened since then. So we want to talk to you about the work that's happened on the restoration front with communities. We'll be right back after the break on Delta Dispatch. From the bottom of the Marianas Trench, this is ASPN, the American Shoreline Podcast Network. News for the pelagic-minded. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund, and it is time for the Coastal Stat of the Week. According to a recent study from the University of California, San Diego, a square mile, a square kilometer of wetlands is worth approximately 1.8 million a year and on average in storm protection. So just a reminder as to why we're trying to restore as many wetlands as possible. It's vital to have to protect our communities and our way of life. So I'll hand it over to you, Simone. Thank you. I'm Simone Laws with Restore Retreat, and we have Amanda Moore on the show from National Wildlife Federation. We were talking about her past experience facing challenges and, and disasters here in Louisiana. Mandy, I just thought of something. How long have you worked at National Wildlife Federation? 11 years, more than that, something like that. I was going to ask you how many disasters you have under your belt, but um, like you said, I think, I think, and all kidding aside, that that um, you're really great in situations like this because you faced them before, and so I don't want to make light of that because I think that's one of the things that that makes you great. Um, we were talking about before the break your work in the communities during um, during the days and and months and and frankly years, right, following. Um, Deepwater Horizon. What what are some things? What are some of the work that you're most proud of in those days um, after Deepwater, related to the community and and how that still connects to your work today? I think the telling the story, um, getting people. You know, a lot of people had to had to speak anonymously. Um, fishermen who were working for BP to do the cleanup because they had no other way to get income at that time. You know, couldn't really talk publicly about what they were seeing, and uh, some of those stories that we were able to tell um, and keep their anonymity, I think, were really important and powerful um, at capturing. You know really what, what was happening um, and how difficult it was for the people. Um, and of course, then we shifted to the Restore Act and implementation um, there. And I think that that was really important too. So, so what are some things that you're looking forward to looking ahead, right? Um, we, we mentioned earlier that this is a, a, an anniversary for Katrina and Rita. Um, once work uh, or things return back to normal or the new normal, what are some things that you're looking forward to working on? There are a lot of projects moving right now, a lot of important projects. I mean, you know, we had $16 billion um, was kind of that, you know, what what, if anything positive uh, came out of the oil spill, we got some funding there um, to start implementing some really important projects. And there's still about $12 billion left um, that we are going to put to really good use in Louisiana. So there's a lot of good stuff that's being planned. Um, and the, we have the master plan as a really phenomenal guide. And I think that um, 
we're seeing a lot of progress happen. That's really exciting. And I joke because I have to write a lot of the comment letters um, when we get to, you know, comment processes on projects. And I'm like, I have to write four comment letters this week. And I, and I hate it, but I, I love it too, you know, because I understand what that means. That means that we're moving. That means that we're, we're making progress on really good projects and getting them moving forward. So... Mandy, we've seen a lot of progress, I mean, not just on the actual project and restoration side, but kind of on the community and, um, you know, workforce side as well. Simone Simone and I have had guests from Fletcher Community College, as well as Nunez Community College on to discuss some of the programs that they have to help, you know, do workforce development and get people prepared for jobs in this space. So um, you've done a lot of work with, you know, the Marrow Foundation and others in, in St. Bernard Parish. So what do, you, what do you think about that? The fact that, you know, as a result of, you know, obviously this disaster, it's now creating opportunity to provide education, workforce development, um, learning, hopefully jobs one day for people to do work of coastal restoration and protection. Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of money that's going to be spent on the coast, and with that means that we have an opportunity to create this restoration economy, and um, and to make it work locally for the people that are most impacted by the land loss and have the most to gain, and that makes a lot of sense um, that these communities should be prioritized um, and being able to be a part of that. And um, and there's been so many, you know, Nunez, Flesher, um, and then you know, also uh, Dillard University and uh, UNO, there's all kinds of programs out there. People are trying to figure out um, from the get-go, you know, uh, Miro Foundation hosted a lot of working on the water summits, and it was all in the spirit of trying to put the pieces together. Um, There's been um, legislation, you know, put forward, and and people are trying, and I, I have optimistic, and I think that so many people want it to happen and want to figure out, um, how to get people to work and how to make this opportunity work for our local economy and regional economy, that it's going to happen. There's a lot of dedication there. And there's been a lot of progress in terms of how we do community engagement um, and outreach. And I think a lot of that has been through yourself and your colleagues, um, really pushing people to meet people where they are. So what about that in terms of what we can do, what, what we've done well and what we can do better in terms of community education and and working with the people that have been impacted by, you know, Deepwater Horizon, hurricanes, land loss, and more. Louisiana is always at the forefront um, with a lot of this, and I think that community engagement is also a, a, you know, part of that story where we can lead and we can be a model and we can learn um, and help other places learn as they come to kind of come into the situation that Louisiana is several years ahead of um, and trying to deal with uh, climate adaptation, climate mitigation. Um, and I think that examples are like, are like the coastal uh, connection series where, you know, CPRA has really just gone above and beyond um, to get the engineers and the project managers into the communities that are going to be impacted um, on a regular basis, you know, like more than just one time, more than twice. I mean, I think it's like over a hundred times in the last several years. They've had um, people who can answer a lot of questions about projects um, and also take in information from the communities. They've held all these different opportunities um, day and night. And I think that that's what you have to do 
Um, it, it can just be, you know, what's required by NEPA and having a public comment process. Um, and I think that Louisiana has really started to figure that out. They also have a good history of in, and working in public-private partnerships um, and uh, making sure that they're reaching the broader audiences that you can really only do through a public-private partnership. You've got to work with the local organizations um, on the ground to be able to bring people in and have them comfortable um, and have a real meaningful dialogue. So I think... Um, Nothing has been has been perfect. I think there's still a lot of opportunities. I think with the upcoming coastal master plan in 2023, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to think about how can we be really innovative and how can we really get people to feel ownership and like this is their plan, you know, and get their voice engaged because I think long term, that's critical to the success of the coastal program in Louisiana. Yeah, Mandy, I think you you make some really great points. It it always seems like the master plan is is very far away, but but it's it's really always just the build up to that. And so I always very much appreciate your points on um, on community engagement and how while we need that plan to be driven by science, it's also very important that um, it's publicly informed and people understand more about that plan. So um, we we have to wrap it up with you, um, but I want to ask you a fun question. But I do want to remind everybody um, that there are um, from the our partners at the Restore the Mississippi River Coalition, there have been some recommendations made for how we can have a more resilient uh, Mississippi River Delta following the 2010 Gulf spill. And so uh, for more information on that, uh, you can go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash decade dash after dash disaster. And you can find uh, some good information there about um, sustainable restoration and, and how stakeholders are very important part of that process. So, um, well, thank you, Mandy, always for your insight from the community level. Your engagement is is critical to our success, um, but we definitely want to lighten it up with a with a fun question. Um, what is the number one restaurant um, or kind of food that you want to go sit in a restaurant <laughs> and eat when this is all over? I'm There's only one it. answer. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm going to make it something in Louisiana, of course. <laughs> Um, good God. Um, where do I want to go? The first thing I thought of, which is really weird, is spars. Yeah, good way. answer. Yes, that, those yeah, are that's people. Excellent. In my head. It's a hard question, but that was the visual I got. It was like a big plate of fried catfish. Yeah, spars is actually very good to the coastal community, and, and so I appreciate you shouting out to them. <laughs> um, their fried green tomato salad yes. um, with fried shrimp and their shrimp mm-hmm. and their romola dressing. Now I'm like, now I'm just totally <laughs> I can't sit in a restaurant and have that. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mandy. It's always great to have you on and, and just a reminder where you can find um, those resources at MississippiRevelDelta.org slash decade dash after dash disaster. Um, that's it for this episode of Delta Dispatches. Uh, you can find us online and we'll be back with more great stay home content in the future. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.